Today, we're going to tackle one of the most common challenges that young people in leadership roles face, some of the best ways to prepare yourself to successfully overcome them and develop yourself into a more effective leader along the way. You're listening to Proving Grounds. All right, let's get started. Being a leader in and of itself is incredibly difficult. Now, add on top of that, the variable that you're young and you're in for a whole different world of challenges. Now, if you're listening to this, chances are you're a young adult in a position of leadership. Since you're young, chances are most of the people who are following you, as well as your peers in leadership, are much older than you are. Now, first off, that isn't a bad thing. You're obviously pretty smart, otherwise you wouldn't be in this conundrum in the first place. So why is it that you feel like you had to put in extra work to prove your worth over and over again, and seemingly more often than everybody else does? Well, it's probably because you're young. You're the new model, straight from the manufacturer. The box says you're supposed to do exactly what they need you to do, but there just isn't a whole lot of real-world evidence to back up those claims yet. They may even rely on a different tool until they're confident in the new one that they just bought. Or, an example that's more relevant to our generation, you bought the newest model phone right after the release. It's the next best thing since the last thing that was the best thing. But the thought's still in the back of your head that there might be a few minor bugs after the, the release. It's probably not enough to make you think that your phone is a bad investment, but enough for you to have an eye of skepticism on your phone for the first few months of using it. This isn't something you should worry too much about. To be honest, you can use it to your advantage. I'm going to get to that in a second, but first we need to break down the why into its baser principles. Why is it that you have to work twice as hard to gain the trust of your peers and team? Really, there's two main trains of thought that people older than you have. And one of them is more valid than the other, in my opinion. The first is that you're inexperienced. It's not just the position that you're placed in. You're most likely pretty competent in whatever is required for you technically in that position. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gotten the job in the first place. It's usually the lack of life experience that they're most concerned about. And it's important to make the distinction between the two. Because if you're young, they're absolutely right. That is a gap in your expertise that is valid. And if you're going to gain any form of credibility, you have to address that problem properly and with focused intent, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. The second one is less valid, in my opinion, and that's you have to combat the stereotypes that our generation of young adults has placed on you. And as stereotypes go, you have to combat the preconception of the worst parts of it, not the best. We've already established that you're the outlier of our generational norm, but you probably got some close friends that are fantastic examples of negative generational stereotypes. You have employees that have kids that are your age. That's a difficult preconception to break. Unless their kids are crushing it professionally, then you need to thank them for giving you a leg up and earning your team's trust. Let's further break down experience first, since there's actually tangible problems that we can address and then prescribe ways to dramatically improve the curve required to gain the trust of others. As wise as you may be for your age, there's no changing the speed at which the earth revolves around the sun that we currently know of. And it's not that revolutions around the sun magically give you the experience that you need to be given respect. It's that the longer you've lived, the more opportunities you're given to apply knowledge situationally and then examine the results. Time offers you the opportunity to succeed or fail in unique situation after unique situation. And the sooner you come to realize that and truly examine your experiences in life, the more value that your life experience will give you. 
This is the foundation for acquiring wisdom because years of life experience aren't equal. Someone who's 40 may have less wisdom than someone who's 25. And all it comes down to is who has mentally digested their experiences in life to be useful to them, to learn the most from the successes and failures alike that produce valuable life and work experience. But someone can't just look at you and know that. Let's assume you're incredibly wise for your age. You're the true Yoda of your generation. How's someone to know that you're wise unless you've been observed in a situation where wisdom is required of you? Now, you might be thinking, well, why do I have to fall under, uh, fall under this degree of scrutiny when others aren't based solely off of my age? It's an excellent question. And the answer is, why should you lend them or anyone else the credence of that level of trust without them first earning it? Having to prove yourself can be a good thing because you can guarantee that everyone will be watching you. And like iron sharpens iron, it forces you to always keep your edge battle ready. Complacency can destroy you without you even noticing it. You can actually be grateful for this level of extrinsic motivation. First, you need to accept that you may have less experience than others. It's absolutely critical that the person who's most aware of where you lack experience is you. You need to understand fully where those gaps are, what risks are assumed because of it, a strategy to bring those gaps closer together, and most importantly, to identify the people on your team who have the experience that you're missing. The most powerful tool that you have to bridge your gap and lack of experience is your team. Asking questions like, John, you have decades of experience in this industry. What are the risks in this project that I might be overlooking? Or, Susan, you've worked in three drastically different manufacturing organizations. What do you think these new market projections actually mean? I can guarantee they aren't going to think, wow, he must be really incompetent if he has to ask that question. They're most likely going to think good. When he finds gaps in his expertise, he identifies them and seeks out ways to manage it. It's actually one of the key factors to mitigating risk in general. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, if you fail to identify your own gaps, when they come up, and they will, you'll be seen as being blind to your own incompetence. That's what gets people to lose confidence in you quickly. If you don't identify your weaknesses, then how are you supposed to go about turning them into strengths? Once identified, you can objectively prescribe the methods that you'll employ to get better at it. One of the best drivers of growth and weakness that I've found is to cultivate general curiosity in your life. When you're in a meeting, especially one of those meetings that are cross-functional with other leaders of the business, there's countless times when a topic comes up and you really don't know much about it. And if it's not directly important to what you're supposed to understand at the time, most people just shut their ears off for a while until something relevant to them pops out of the meeting. Don't make that mistake. When you come across something that you're not familiar with, make a note of it. Look into it later. Read books. Take a colleague who's an expert in the topic out to lunch. Regardless of if you're a young professional or a seasoned veteran, when you ask an expert to teach you about what they're an expert in, they leave that conversation with a higher degree of confidence in you just because now they know that you have a reference point to see things from their perspective when it's required of you in the future. And don't just settle for a lecture. There's always ways that you can learn from somebody and at the same time offer your knowledge to them. Discover synthesis between your expertise and theirs. Ask questions that probe the underlying principles of the topic. Questions that break things down into their deeper levels of analysis. Discover with them the ways that their experience in something that's completely different 
can be applied to future obstacles that you might come across in your realm of expertise. Even if you have to go to a meta level of analysis to draw those equivalences, the truth is there's always something you can learn that can be applied to you in useful ways. And that's actually the method of thinking that creates a rich environment for innovation, which in my definition is just the synthesis of dissimilar ideas into something new. I could probably talk about that for a while. So let's, let's jump back into another direction of the topic. What are some of the other challenges that you're going to face as a young leader? Having to prove yourself is something that's common and a blatant thread that young leaders face, but let's jump into something that's a little bit less talked about. Arguably, one of the most important reasons why leaders exist is to develop and mentor the people that they're leading. And when people think of mentors, the mind automatically jumps to painting a picture of like a grandfatherly figure, figure sipping on coffee by the fire, telling you why the whippersnappers are up to no good <laughs> or something like that. But it illustrates the point pretty well. People don't naturally think of younger people as mentors. But just because that's the case from a level of perception doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It's actually pretty common, although the gap narrows the older that both parties get collectively. So how do you improve this fundamental construct of leadership? It really is easier than it seems, and it's a lesson that could be taken away for any leader, regardless of if you're 20 or 200 years old, and it's this. Being a leader doesn't make you a ruler of others, but a servant to others. And the moment that you figure that concept out is the moment that all of these problems start to trend in the direction of no longer being problems. Instead of thinking, how am I supposed to mentor my employees when some of them are the age of my parents, you should be thinking, what do my employees need? Can I give them the tools and opportunities that they need to grow their careers? Your success as a leader is measured by the growth and excellence of your team. Once your team sees that they are your priority, they're going to follow you to the ends of the earth and do whatever they can do to make you successful. Why? Because that's what that's the moment that they realize that the more successful you are, the more ability you have to make them successful. And that concept isn't defined by age and experience of the leader. So why did I say that the moment that you figure this out is the moment you start to solve the problems of being a young leader? Well, think about it. When you task yourself with identifying the ways that you can be a servant to your team, what you're also doing is identifying gaps and weaknesses. You've already done this for yourself now that your own house is in order and you've identified the strengths of your team by identifying your experts. It's the next logical step to assess the weaknesses and determine your strategy for turning those weaknesses into strengths. Also on the topic of mentoring, a very effective way that I've found to offer mentors wisdom to people with more life experience than you is to use the wisdom that's been passed down to you by your own mentors. Always take the wisdom given to you by your own mentors seriously. Keep it in an arsenal in your brain to apply to future situations. Showing your capability to apply the wisdom of others situationally is an indication of your own capacity for wisdom. Another effective method is to tell a story for the point that you're trying to get across. If a stereotype that you're combating is, well, how do you know what you're saying applies to the real world? You're inexperienced. I'm going to take what you're saying at face value. You need to provide the context necessary to explain what you've learned from a situation that you're trying to apply now and help them come to the same realization themselves. The great thing about stories is the ones from your life are great. 
and they provide evidence for efficacy in reflection, but if you don't have experience for a specific situation, which will happen, you're young, remember, you can use stories from others that you've observed over the years. The, pr the, the principle remains the same. It's the ability to extrapolate different lessons from a situation. Like the saying goes, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Now, let's break into a more tactical subject of leadership, a problem that doesn't have to do with overcoming perceptions of you. This is something that I've seen over and over and over again, and most commonly with young leaders, and it's delegation, or more specifically, the inability to delegate. I mean, it makes sense. You've most likely taken a different path in life from what's considered normal, and the only person that you've had to rely on consistently is yourself. It can be difficult to give up the reins on the tactical levels of what you're accustomed to doing yourself, but hey, if you're the head coach, you're not going to get to jump back into the game and start making passes. That's not your role anymore, and it comes down to trust. And I really do think that there's a parallel that can be made between drawing trust of your team members with the perception of lack of trust from your team members or peers. I truly believe that it's a reciprocal relationship. So when that road goes both ways, you may have to be the first person who gives trust in order for it to be given back to you. The second reason why I believe that delegation is difficult for young leaders is just the fact that you're transitioning from being confident in your technical excellence, most likely what got you where you are right now, to building your confidence in your leadership excellence. And just like you've undoubtedly failed in the technical elements of your role in the past, you have to have the wisdom to understand that your team members are going to have to make those same mistakes if you want them to develop into the degree of technical excellence that you hold yourself to. Now, that doesn't mean let the world come crashing down. That's going to ruin your job real quick. A principal category of your role as a leader is to mitigate those risks. But you have to let people do things if you want them to get better at those things, even if it means them taking a few minutes longer to do it than if you would have done it yourself. You just need to look at the bigger picture. First off, your life is going to get a whole lot easier once you've delegated your daily tasks. And second, your job is to be thinking strategically and to set the trajectory of your team in the right direction. The more time that you spend putting out fires, the less effective you're ultimately going to be at doing that. Let's move into the last part here, which ties into what I mentioned about transitioning your confidence in technical excellence to your confidence in leadership excellence. You can't let any of these challenges get to you. When your confidence gets rocked, it's a long battle to regain it for yourself. And your team is going to be going along with you and suffer the consequences of it. Because the number one thing above all else that's going to get others to take you seriously is the confidence that you have in yourself. If you're unsure if you're able to deliver something, why would any reasonable person decide to put their trust in you? And confidence is a deeply psychological phenomenon, and because it's something that's so individual from one person to another, it can be difficult to quantify and then prescribe to someone what it actually means to acquire confidence. So I'm going to avoid that rabbit hole today and just toss out the idea of what I believe to be one of the most important projections of internal confidence. And that's how you present yourself and communicate with others. And to overly simplify that complex idea even further, I'm going to attribute it down to one word, maturity. I'm not saying that you need to abandon everything that makes your generation unique, because really, those elements are what will drive innovation relatively soon, but you absolutely need to detach yourself from the preconception that your functional peers have of others your age. 
the vast majority which are not in the position of leadership that you are. You're going to have to assimilate the characteristics of older generations into the core of your character. Maturity is what I would define it as decreasing the probability of you taking action that is brash. And that characteristic trait illuminates itself in almost every outward way. For example, how you talk to others. Maturity is carefully and concisely selecting your words and understanding the gravity by which they contain, not flippantly tossing out thoughts without first placing them under a higher degree of scrutiny, which you can equivocate to action itself. If you select your words with that degree of attention, it lends credibility to the fact that you will select your actions with the same degree of attention. So be confident. Not confident that you know everything, but confident that you know that you can succeed in every situation knowing that you do not know everything. All right. So let's recap what we talked about. Number one, understanding where you lack experience and openly accepting that. Number two, proving that you're not one of the negative stereotypes attributed to your generation. Number three, identifying the people who fill the gaps in your experience and leveraging that experience. Number four, being a servant leader instead of a ruler. Number five, being conscious of your degree of confidence and actively improving it. Now, this isn't something that's going to solve itself overnight. Patience can be something incredibly difficult to contend with as a driven person, but this is just one of those things that has to be built over time. There's no shortcuts, and there's just more more or less effective ways of going about it. And the fact that you've spent the time to listen to something like this is a good indication that you're focused on the right things. But I think that's a good spot to wrap things up for today. You know, thanks for taking the time out of your day to take a critical look at this with me. And it's actually pretty enjoyable to put together. So be sure to check back soon and we'll talk about some of the other critical elements of developing yourself as a young leader. I'll see you back here next time on Proving Grounds. Thank you.